following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. Um, start with a question uh, that... Uh, probably we all have uh, thought about at times. Uh, maybe not, but I'm guessing we probably have. And the question is, does God really have a plan for our lives? And does God really have a plan for our lives? Uh, certainly we have the sense that he has a big plan for the universe, and, and we, we may talk about uh, God's will for our life. Um, but does he really care about me that much? I mean, that specifically... Uh, is his will so detailed that he has specific things written into his plan with my name on it, with your name on it? Uh, probably most of us would, would, would say that's true at some level. But then that raises the next question, how do we know what that is? Right? How do we know what God's will is for our life? How do we discover this plan that God has for us? I just had somebody this past week say uh, something to the effect that, you know, he wished God would send him an email more often. Right? Anybody there? Like, why doesn't God just send an email with instructions? That would help things, wouldn't it? Um, how can we discover this plan, this purpose for our life that often seems so hidden and mysterious? Um, we've been looking in, in Numbers chapter 1 through 10 with the theme, God with us. Uh, today we're looking at the last two chapters. Um, uh, at the end of this section, and like the rest of this large section, each each section, each subsection begins with the the words, "And the Lord spoke to Moses." Right? And uh, there's actually four four instructions, four more things that God talks about to Moses in the, in these last two chapters, and and all four things kind of have the common theme of gathering and going. So the title I've given this message for this morning is "Gathering and Going." Uh, they are to gather for worship, and they are to go forward on the journey toward the promised land. Um, they've, they've been, just to give some timetable here, they've been camped out at Mount Sinai now for 11 months. Um, and they're finally ready to start moving forward. God's given them instructions. He's given them the laws and commands, a blueprint for the tabernacle. Uh, he's shown them how to use it. He's set up uh, the priests and the Levites. He's organized the camp, and now... Uh, we're ready to march, right? And if you've been going through this study all the way from Exodus, <laughs> it's taken forever this one year. It feels like it's taken us three years to do what they did in 11 months, right? Um, so, so let's look at these. We're going to start by surveying these four areas where the, we see this gathering and going. And then we'll come back to this question of how this applies to God's leading in our own lives. Uh, and there's a, a, some cool connections that we can learn about how God uh, wants to lead us. Uh, so let's start by looking, uh, we're going to actually kind of jump in the middle, uh, because I want you to see this pattern of gathering and going, and it's most clearly seen uh, in, in actually the middle, in chapter 10, starting in verses 1 through 8, uh, where God gives these instructions about creating these silver trumpets. So let's start there, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets of hammered work you shall make them, and, sh and you shall use them for summoning the congregation 
and for breaking the camp. Okay, breaking camp. Okay, so there's those two ideas, gathering and sending or going. When, you are, uh, when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, uh, the heads of the tribe, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. The alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But the assembly is to be gathered together. Uh, when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. Right? And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be for you a perpetual statute through your generations. All right, so the main function of these trumpets is gathering and sending, gathering and going. Right? That's what they do. And they use different codes, different um, long blasts and short blasts. We don't know what it actually sounded like. I tried to find the CD. I looked on iTunes. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find the CD of this, sadly. Um, uh, so we don't know what the sound was, but somehow there was a signal, uh, and one signal, a long blast of some kind, uh, meant they gathered. And then there was some kind of alarm, maybe a short blast or more of an urgent blast, and they were to go, right? So it was the way they communicated. They didn't have email, they didn't have their phones, so they could just you know, tweet. <laughs> Moses couldn't. It was so much easier. We could just say, okay, everybody ready, we're leaving now. Right? So instead they used this trumpet to, to do that. Uh, and the priests themselves were the ones who were to blow it. And we're going to back up in a minute and look at the cloud. And uh, the, the, when they blew the trumpet uh, to go, uh, worked in conjunction with the cloud, which we'll see next. Uh, what's interesting about this, though, is it says it's, a, it's to be a perpetual state. Now, this phrase, uh, we may not really think much about it, but in Scripture, when it talks about something being a perpetual state, it meant this was a really big deal. This is something that was to be true for them for generation after generation after generation. We might look at this and you kind of read through this and it's like, okay, they had trumpets, okay, nice. But this was a big deal for them. It was a perpetual statute, um, not only for wandering through the wilderness, but actually they would use this when they settled in the land. And there it was used for the same purposes, to call them for worship uh, and to gather them for worship and also to... Uh, call them together for war. Uh, interestingly, I think I have a picture of this. If we could go to uh, King Tut's tomb. Uh, when they excavated King Tut's tomb, uh, they actually found one of these, not one of Moses' silver trumpets, but a, um, a, a trumpet from that era. And you can actually see it in a museum. The top one's actually the wooden form that goes inside the trumpet, and the outside is the silver trumpet. Uh, chances are it was something similar to this. Um, uh, and it was to be a, an ongoing practice for them. And what's interesting when you look at the, it's like, well, that's kind of interesting, but I don't get it. Uh, but when you look at the, the, the end of this passage in verses 9 through 13, it's a little more clear uh, why this was such a big deal. He says, And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day, uh, also on the day of your gladness, at your appointed feast and at the beginnings of your months, um, when they would have a special Sabbath, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. 
they shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord. That seems kind of strange. And, and it doesn't mean here that God would somehow forget them. And so by blowing this trumpet, uh, they would somehow wake God up and God would be like, oh yeah, I forgot the Israelites. Where are they, right? It really wasn't that. Um, uh, God always remembers. Uh, but as one commentator uh Describes it. He says, in the context of battle, the trumpets serve as a prayer by which the covenant relationship between God and Israel was invoked. Okay, so it's a prayer invoking God's covenant relationship, his promises to, to help them, to rescue them, to go to battle on, on their behalf. And thus, the commentator writes, they reminded the soldiers that God remembers. Uh, he remembers his people and he delivers them. Right, so it's a picture really of prayer, uh, of a short blast of prayer invoking God's help, reminding God of his promise and reminding them to walk in those promises. And we see that as they, as they both gather and as they go, where they're going is they're walking into God's promise. God is about to lead them into the promised land. And they are walking into what God has been promising them for hundreds of years, actually. Uh, and so the, 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 the trumpet is, is, is a picture of prayer, as well as summoning the people together. Then we jump, uh, we're going to go backwards now, reverse a little bit to the cloud over the tabernacle. And we see this in the end of chapter 9, at verse 15. Um, and and the, the cloud and the trumpets kind of go hand in hand. Right? And so they, they would know when to blow, blow the trumpets by the operation of the cloud. Um, and here the focus is not so much on gathering and going as, as it is on breaking the camp and setting out with the camp. Uh, when, when they should go and when they should stop. Right? Um, so the way it worked, it says in verse 15, on the, day that the cloud, uh, on the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. And so they set up the tabernacle and the whole time they were in the wilderness, during the day there was a cloud that was over the, the, temp, the tabernacle and at night it turned into like a pillar of fire, uh, signifying God's presence with them. Um, so it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of the fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent... After that, the people set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Now, this is cool. Like this, this, this is like, I wish, this, I wish I had this, right? Every day, every morning, they would get up and they would look at the tent. And if the cloud was resting on the tent, it mean we're, we're, we're not going anywhere. Get out the lawn chair, get out the barbecue. Let's chill, because we're staying put. But if the cloud had lifted... And I don't know what that looked like, where it went, or how high, but somehow it was different. If it had lifted off the, off the tent, uh-oh, time to pack. And they would pack up their tent, and they would get their stuff gathered because they were going to march that day. So every day, it was super clear what they were going to do. And God, this is, this is how God led them, right? He made it clear, uh, unmistakably, what he was calling them to do day by day. Now, this passage is fascinating because of its incredible repetition, now, I just told you everything you need to know and everything they needed to know. But he goes on from there saying the same thing over and over again. Now, to make this fun, because it's really important to get the, 
the emphasis here, we're, we're going to play a little game, right? And I'm going to read this passage, right? And when the, when the cloud lifts, you're going to stand up, right? When the cloud sets down, you're going to sit down, right? And you're going to get your exercise this morning. Are you ready for this? Verse 17, whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. Okay, at, at the command of the Lord, the people set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud remained over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle. According to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. So I should have had you stand every time we set out. See, that's my mistake right there. Um, uh, sometimes the cloud remained, remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. If it continued for a day and a night... When the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or longer, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, we missed one somewhere, right? At the command of the Lord, they camped. At the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. A lot of repetition, and in Scripture that repetition is always relevant and important. And we see here that God, God, God wants it to be just ingrained in them how this is going to work. There's no mistake, no accident. That day by day, God would direct them. Right? Day by day, He would do this. He would, uh, it was by their command that they would camp, and it was their, by, their command, by His command that they would set out. Um, and here, here's the thing. They knew where they were going, right? They knew that they were headed to the promised land and that God was leading them uh, to Canaan, where uh, this land that he would give them. And, and here's the thing. There was a much more direct, easy route, right? And uh, they all got out their maps and they're all like, yeah, we know, we know the highway. There was a major trade route between Egypt and Canaan uh, that everybody knew, right? Uh, but God chose not to go that way. He chose to take them off through the desert and through the wilderness um, where they, they had no idea where they were going. Um, and, and it's important that God here is leading them moment by moment and day by day. Right? Um, they know the, the main end destination but, but the route, the, the next camp, the stops along the way, when to go, when to stop, they do not know. And, and what's even more, um, uh, sometimes, I mean, they just know day by day. Sometimes it says they, they, they wait a day, sometimes a month, sometimes it says longer, right? Um, now, for those of us like me who, uh, when you go on a trip... The goal is to get there, right? Anybody like that? You're like, you get on the trip, you get in the car, and you're not stopping. I mean, it may be a 30-hour trip. You're not stopping. Kids need to go to the bathroom. Sorry. We're driving, right? You can, you can go when we get there. But how much further? Like three days. Just, just hold it, right? So you know, you know, those of you who, like, that's, that's how we are, right? We're on a mission, right? Imagine this, like, 
Well, what do you mean we're not going today, right? What do you mean we're waiting? We've been waiting for a week. What's what's the holdup, right? But but that was God's leading them day by day, step by step. Uh, it would have been very hard for them. Um, and then there's those of us who want who want all the details, right? There is some comfort in knowing the full itinerary. Okay, so those of you who are like that know who you are, right? Like you need you need every stop along the way. You need to know the name of the hotel. You need to know the exit you got to take, right? You want to know every detail from point A to point B, right? And they they didn't have that, right? God didn't say, "Here's your itinerary." I couldn't look it up on Google Maps and, and download the step by step, you know, turns and no, right? Uh, day by day, they got what they needed for that particular day, and that was it, right? The cloud lifted, we go. Uh, the cloud sets, we stop, right? That's all they got. Um, but but it's a picture here of God, God, God leading them uh, in 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 the the going, but also in the stopping. And it was when they stopped when they gathered for worship. Often, not the only reason they stopped, but was a big part of it. And we see that backing up even a little farther, um, uh, that in the, in the beginning of chapter 9, God uh, reminds them, he commands them, let's read in verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. Because this has been one year since, the, since they left Egypt. All right? So the first Passover was while they were slaves in Egypt. Now a whole year has gone by, and God commands them to celebrate really their first Passover uh, after they've left, right? After they've left Egypt. He says, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it as its appointed time, According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover in the first month on the 14th day at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. Right. Um, so here they, they are, the focus is not so much on going. Obviously here the, the, the focus is on gathering to worship and celebrate uh, uh, God's saving work when he led them out of Egypt. Um, uh, and, and they are specifically to celebrate God's grace in saving them. They were to celebrate uh, that great saving work. And the reason this was significant for them as a people is that this all happened before any laws or commands were given. Right? Uh, one of the dangers, and as Israel uh, saw God's promises fulfilled and saw themselves move into the promised land. One of the things that happened is uh, they had the temple and they had the rules and the laws and sacrifices. And it was easy for them to begin to think that that this was something they deserved, right? They were good people who kept all the rules. And so that's why God was good to them. But Passover was important because it reminded them that God's original work of saving came at a time when they hadn't done anything. They didn't even have a law, right? This was a year before the law came to them. They didn't even have the law of God. Uh, And God provided for them and uh, gave His salvation as a pure matter of grace. Right? There was nothing they had done to deserve it. 
And so it was important for them to remember God's gracious and mighty saving act before they were anything. It's interesting, later on, when you read it in the prophets, when the nation was in decline, and when things were not going well, it was clear that they had stopped celebrating Passover. Right? In fact, some of the kings, uh, later kings, uh, reinstituted this celebration that had been neglected for many, many generations. Right? And there's a link between remembering God's grace and walking faithfully in His promises. Right? Um, and and uh, in, in verse 6, uh, a situation came up that Moses had to deal with. And the situation was this. There were some people who were unclean because they had touched a dead body. A family member, a friend had died, and they had to take care of the body. And so they felt they were disqualified uh, from keeping the Passover. And so they come to Moses with this question, what should we do? We, we can't celebrate it because we, uh, we're, we're not clean. So what do we do? And I love Moses' answer. Notice what he says in verse 8. Moses said to them, Wait that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Right? God, uh, Moses doesn't make stuff up. Right? He waits to hear God's specific instructions. And God's uh, instructions are this. He says uh, they, can, they, can make, they can have a make-up day. Right? Uh, one month later, they can celebrate Passover as a makeup day. So if they're unclean or if they've been on a trip and they're away in the future, uh, they can make it up one month later. But he says um, what they cannot do is skip it. Right? What they cannot do is fail to celebrate grace. Th- this is how important it is. And notice what he says in verse uh, um, um, verse 13 but if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time that man shall bear his sin in other words celebrating Passover was such a big deal that to not celebrate was to cut yourself off from the people it was to say in effect I don't really belong with you I'm not one of you we don't know how God cut them off. It was something God did if, uh, if disaster would come on them or if it just meant God just saw they, were, they weren't really of the people of Israel. And so this was a super big deal that they remember God's saving grace in their lives, that it became a foundation or a root or an anchor for their whole community, that they were God's people, not because they kept the law, not because they were so attentive at keeping the tabernacle and the temple and offering all the sacrifices. But because God in His grace and kindness had saved them when they were nothing. Right? Uh, finally, the fourth thing that happens in this passage, uh, jumping back to the other end, is that they finally set out on their journey. Right? So they gathered in worship, now they're going, they're being sent. And in chapter 10, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 11, uh, God instructs them again in, in the second year, in the second month, so a month after Passover, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. But you didn't stand up. That's okay. It's okay. Uh, the cloud lifted. So what does that mean? <laughs> they got up that morning. Imagine, it's been 11 months, right? And one day they get up and... <gasps> The cloud lifted. I can just see them all like going, like freaking out. Ah, 
<laughs> I didn't wash my best clothes. I don't know. You know they're, they're packing. All of a sudden, it's happening, right? They're moving, finally. Um, it's been, for, for, for those of us who are saying this, it's been almost 50 chapters since Exodus through the whole book of Leviticus, first 10 chapters of Numbers, finally. Yay! They're moving. Praise God, we're making progress. Um, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies, and over their company was Nashon, the son of Abinadab, and on and on. And each tribe by tribe, with their leaders and their standards and their divisions, they set out. Um, they're finally moving forward. And uh, when they arrived at Sinai, they were a jumbled, chaotic, just mass of slaves, this very unorganized group of people who were confused and, and mostly lost. And, and it's amazing the transformation that's taken place over these 11 months because now they're leaving ordered and organized, right? Setting out by camps, by groups, by clans, by divisions uh, in an orderly fashion with their standards uh, raised over them like a well-organized, well-disciplined military, military camp, right? My, my good friend Ted, where's Ted? Soldier, soldier, you know, his soldiering, it's great because he's our associate pastor and he brings to our chaos military order, right? And it's, it's great because he always wants to organize things because there's something disciplined and ordered and organized if you're going to be a good soldier, right? And, and that's what God did for the people as he ordered them and as he led them. It was no longer chaotic. It was right, it was ordered, it was organized. And God was in the center and they were marching forward and God was also leading them. Right? So, so when we look at this, the summary of all this, we put all these things together as God's gathering them, as he's going, as he's, as he's in the midst of all this, uh, what do we see? Well, what we see is that God is extremely diligent about leading his people, right? Uh, in these first ten chapters, over and over and over again, everything happens because the Lord commanded them and the people followed God's instructions. Right? Uh, step by step, day by day, God is leading them. He is directing their paths. He is personally taking them from Egypt to Canaan, Right? And I think the lesson for us should be this. If God with us means anything, it must certainly mean He is leading and directing us. If it means anything. It means that God is super concerned to lead and direct in, in a very specific and daily way in our life. His, his will for us is not some kind of out there, obscured, random, generic thing. Where God's like, well, you know, I want you to all be good people and good Christians. Yeah, that's my will for you. That does say in the Scripture, there are those verses, you know, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Right? We should all be thankful people. We should all be people who bear the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Those are His will. But, but God is also concerned about specific details and personal matters in your life. And He wants to lead in those things. Uh, he is not arbitrary about it. Right? And with Israel, he, he figured out a way to communicate clearly to them his purpose and his will. It wasn't accidental or arbitrary. 
He didn't leave it up to them to figure it out. He didn't say, it's written in the stars, and if you're really brilliant, you'll be able to read the stars. And if you get it wrong, well, I'm sorry. That's the best I could do. Right? No, he's, he makes it super easy. Right? Tent lifts, you get up. The tent, uh, the cloud, not the tent lifts, the cloud lifts. The tent stays, the cloud lifts. You go, right? The cloud settles back down, you stop. Right? He made it super clear. And, and the same thing is true for I, uh, you and I. As his children, God wants to lead you in very direct and specific ways. Right? We know this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans, God's speaking, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your good, for welfare, and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. God knows the plans he has for you. And they're specific and real. Um, But it brings us back to that second question. Uh, Which, which by the way, um, we cannot glorify God apart from doing his will. That's why this matters. It's not just that God is uh, serving you, but his own glory is wrapped up in in us being in his will. Because we cannot glorify him apart from that. But it brings us back to this question, how how do we know? How how does he lead us? Um, if, If this is any example to us, there's no doubt it should be super clear that God has a plan for your life and he wants to lead you in it. Um... But when I got up this morning, there was no cloud. Well, there were clouds, but I wasn't sure if they were lifting or setting, right? And like it wasn't over my truck. Like if it gets on the truck, I drive. If it lifts, I don't know. You know, it's not like that anymore. So how do we know God's leading? Um, it is different now for us. Um, we are not led by a cloud, but we are led by the fire of the Spirit within us. So his leading in our era is no less clear, even though it may be less visible. Uh, But but here's here's the thing. I believe that God is quite capable and able to figure out how to make his plan and his will clear enough for us to follow. God's pretty smart, and, uh, and he knows you. And I think God knows what he needs to do to get the message through to you. I don't think God's up there going, oh man, I just don't know what to do. I forgot their email address. I was going to email them. And I think God is, is genius at communicating himself, right? But here's the problem. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us. Um, and it's kind of like an old-time radio. I don't know if some of you old guys like me ever, when you were a kid, got a little crystal radio set. We used to sell these where you could build your own little radio. And it was like the coolest thing ever. And it came with this little, this little board and these little um, diodes and crystals and coils of wire. And, and you would follow these directions and put the whole thing together. And uh, the promise was that you could pick up real-life radio frequencies, like AM radio. And I remember putting mine together. And it didn't have a, a dial with numbers. It just had this little wheel. right? No, no LED display, nothing like that. Just this little wheel. And you'd have to slowly turn this little wheel and try to dial in on, a, on a, a radio frequency that somebody was broadcasting on. I remember just so excited. I had my little earphone in and turning that wheel and, and the static and crackling. And all of a sudden, 
boom, up pops this voice speaking. And it worked. I was like capturing radio waves or something I made. It was just the coolest thing ever, right? And, but you had, to, you had to be really careful tuning it in. And just like that, it was gone. <laughs> Come back, right? Because you had to dial it in, right? Well, that's how it is for us. God is broadcasting loud and clear. The trick on our part is we have to know how to dial it in. Dial in the frequency of his voice. Tune our lives to hear him. And from this passage, let me just quick, quickly give you uh, four ways that I think we can tune our lives, our hearts and our minds, to hear his voice. Um, first one, um, and you're not going to like this one, right? I don't like this one. First one is this. Wait daily on God. Wait. Okay? The, the posture and attitude of a person who's going to hear God's voice, who's going to be ready to, to be led by God, is a person who knows how to wait. Right? How many of you like to wait? I'm getting lots of practice because now in Chiang Mai, the, the stoplights are like, I think I waited seven days last you know, week at one stoplight. I had lunch, I went camping, I mean, I watched three movies, I read a couple books. Right? I'm getting good at this waiting thing. God apparently thinks I need to practice. Right? Wait daily on God. Right? I love this. Every day they got up, the first thing they did is they waited on God. Is the cloud going to go up? Is it just going to stay there? Right? And this could kind of take a while. You go and you're staring at the tent. You're staring at the tent. Like, how long do we wait before it goes up? Right? They don't have watches. They don't have a clock. Like maybe some days it's up at 6 in the morning. Some days maybe it's 10, right? And what do they do? They, they come to the tent and they wait. And they wait, right? And not only are they waiting for the specific day, but they're waiting because they don't know what's coming, right? Uh, today, uh, we're not going. Like if you're that goal-driven guy, this is just painful. Two days have gone by. Three days have gone by. A month has gone by. And we're just waiting. And what are they doing when they're waiting? Well, some days they're worshiping. Sometimes they're gathering to celebrate Passover and to, to worship God. But some days they're just not doing anything. Right? How many of you just love to do absolutely nothing? Like, I love it for the first, like, four minutes. Right? And then it's like, okay, i got to do something. Right? Okay, and here's the real question. How many of you can go more than 72 seconds without looking at your phone? Anybody? Right? Because okay, we, we just, I mean, we're wired to constantly, what's next, what's next, what's next, right? They had to wait and wait and wait and wait, right? Um, waiting means resting. Uh, waiting means listening. Waiting means seeking. And most of all, waiting means being willing to do nothing. Willing to do nothing. I think one of the reasons we do not hear God's voice is that we will not wait. Right? We give God his chance, and if he doesn't speak his word in our, in our time, which is like one or two minutes, we charge ahead and say, well, I'm just going to do this. Right? Remember King Saul? This was the downfall of King Saul. Samuel told Saul, uh, you're going to go to battle, uh, but I want you to wait for me because before you go into battle, I'm going to come and we're going to uh, offer a sacrifice and we're going to pray that God will give us victory. Okay? 
And so it said Saul waited seven days, and after seven days, he was done waiting. And instead of waiting for Samuel, he took it on himself to offer that sacrifice. And he did it himself, right? And, uh, And Samuel shows up and he said, For this reason, God is going to take the kingdom away from you. Because you can't wait. It wasn't his only mistake, but it was one of his big ones, right? Because you cannot wait. Uh, if we're going to hear God speak, we must learn the art of waiting, of sitting still in God's presence. Right? Which brings us to the second one. The second thing we need to do is we need to learn to draw near to God continually. Right? Draw near continually. Really, waiting means drawing near. Uh, every morning they not only had to wait but every morning they actually had to come to the tent they had to draw near to hear the instructions to hear the trumpet blast to look and see the cloud if it was lifting or not and here's a basic principle I think the closer we are to God the more we are living in his presence the more clear his voice and his leading will be in our life if we're not close to God we're not going to hear his voice. Um, you know, I, we, we talk about this 50-chapter delay, right? From the end of Exodus, I'll point to here, 50-some chapters of delay. Do you know what's the, the, the main focus of those 50 chapters? How you can draw near to God. Okay? This was a big deal to God giving them instructions for how he as a holy God would live in their midst and how they could be near him. How they as a people could live with God in their midst and draw close to him. Uh, And the greatest example of this is in chapter 9 when there's a question about Passover. The guys are unclean, right? Um, And and, and what does Moses say to them? He uh, He says these amazing words, Wait that I may hear what the Lord will command. And he draws into God's presence to get God's instructions. He waits to hear and be led and, and instructed by God. Right? Third thing, we need to be a people who know how to celebrate grace. Celebrate grace. Um, we may not see this uh, that these are connected. And we talked about the whole gathering and going. And it may seem like these are two separate and very unrelated things. But actually they are however separate, they're very related and connected. Right? Their going uh, was to flow out of their gathering. They were first to gather for worship, and in that, they were to be strengthened and encouraged, and their faith was to be built up, so that when they went out, remember, they just were not going out sightseeing. At the end of this, there was war. There was battle. There was the hope of conquest. Right? And uh, as we will see shortly, uh, the first time God sent them out, they failed miserably. Big time, big time. They needed their faith built up. And the way they would do that was not by relying on all the stuff that they could do to be right before God. What they needed was a sense that God did this. That God's the one who saved them. And that God, by His power and His grace, rescued them from slavery in Egypt. If God could overcome the Egyptians, the Canaanites were nothing. And and, and on a scale, Egypt was a country, I mean, it was the predominant country in the world in that day. Canaan was, I don't want to pick on some poor country, but it was just this poor 
struggling little country. So it's vitally important that they became a people who, who remembered regularly God's grace. Um, uh, and the same is true for us. Uh, we will hear God's voice more clearly when we are a people who are daily, I think, regularly celebrating God's saving grace in our life. Uh, God saved them at the cost of firstborn of Israel. He saved us at the cost of the firstborn of heaven. It was by the blood of the Passover lamb that the firstborn of Israel were spared. And it is by the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, that we have passed from death to life. That is something to celebrate. Uh, and, and that celebration really does uh, put us in a place to hear God's leading in our life. Um, a great example is one of my favorite passages about the church in the New Testament is Acts 13, 1 and 2. Right? Um, notice what it says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Okay, these were elders and leaders in the church. Right? Key people in the church. And what were they doing? Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Uh, that's awesome, right? They were saying, God, what is your will for my life? They were just worshiping. And in the midst of worship, God spoke his will for them. And I, I think this is how it works. When we come before God and we see His, uh, and we respond at the awe and wonder of His glory and His goodness and power, we see His great saving work and God's God's heart to save the world. Uh, when we see that and we we stand in awe of it, our own small ambitions and petty desires fade and become nothing against the wonder and glory of God and His plans for all eternity. And it's in those moments that God can speak to us His purpose. Lastly, close with this. Final one. Pray God's promises. Remember the trumpet was a prayer call to remind God of His promises. Um, too often our prayer is simply telling God what we want. And that's not all wrong or bad, right? God's invited us. In fact, it's one of His promises <laughs> that we can come to Him with our petitions. Uh, but often our prayers really are not rooted in what God has promised. It's just rooted in what we want. Um, and God is gracious and sometimes he, he answers those prayers. Uh, but, but there's great power in, in blowing this trumpet of reminding God about his promise. What he has promised you. Praying scripture. Right? Being aware of what God has promised and praying those things. Uh, um, because God does not forget his promises. Right? He doesn't forget his promises. Um, let me close with this last story uh, uh, to illustrate how this worked in my own life at least once. <laughs> um, many of you know that uh, way back a long time ago when God was first calling me to be a pastor, I did not want to be a pastor. Uh, and I don't know all the reasons why, it really. Uh, but one of them, I think, was that I thought I wouldn't be very good at it. And I feared failing. I feared being not successful. And so for over a year, God was, was just hammering me 
but this is what he wanted me to do. And I just kept resisting. And, uh, and it was ironic because this whole time I was unemployed and I was praying that God would show me his will. Right? God, show me what you want. And, and God was making it quite clear, but I wasn't hearing it. I wasn't tuned in because uh, I didn't, it's not, I wasn't there, right? I wasn't trusting him. I wasn't doing these things. And mostly I wasn't praying his promises. But one day, I read Matthew 25, uh, uh, which has the story of the parable of the talents. Remember, the king came and he called the stewards. He gave them five talents and three talents and one talent. And uh, I remember reading that and just thinking, wow, God. And, and God just really spoke to me in that passage that I wanted, uh, and the point of the story, I think, is that, that if you use your talents for the kingdom, you will see great results. Right? That's kind of the message that I got as I read it that day. That the guy who took his five talents, he used it for the kingdom, saw a great uh, multiplication of his efforts. He saw results. He saw fruit. And I remember just thinking, wow, God, I don't really, I don't really care what I do, but I, I want that. Right? I want whatever you've given me, whatever you've wired me to do, I want it to produce results. And so uh, I want to someday hear these words. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And, and so on that day, I, I really prayed. I prayed that promise. I said, God, I'll do anything. I'll even be a pastor. I'll do anything. Uh, I'll trust you that you've given me talents and you're going to make those, use those talents for your glory in a way that's productive. Right? Um, and as I prayed that promise as an act of faith and also really as an act of surrender uh, before God, uh, God began moving very quickly and in very specific ways. Like, this is how specific and how, uh, not just broad in general, but like, like everyday kind of leading things, right? Uh, just a few days after that, I was driving my car. We'd been on a, a tour around the state of Colorado with this singing group I was in, and we were on our way back, kind of mid-state, so I wasn't even at home, driving down the highway. And, uh, and God... I don't know how he did it. It wasn't like an audible voice, but God made clear to me that on that day I was supposed to go to this uh, conference for this ministry organization that was meeting. It's like this, this group's meeting in Estes Park, Colorado, and you're to go there today. Now, I, I, am the, I, I, am, I, I hate spontaneity, right? Uh, I am not, and you can ask Denise, she'll, she'll confirm this, right? She says, hey, let's go here. It's like, okay, I need about a three-week warning on that one, right? Uh, let's go to Lotus. I need three weeks, right? I am not spontaneous. But God was like, no, I mean now. Like right now, as you're driving on the highway, you need to get off at this exit ramp right here and take a completely different direction and go to this conference. I was like, I don't know why. I had a million questions. But uh, it was clear that's what God wanted. And so I, took, I told Denise, I think we need to go there. And she's like, okay, let's go. We turn on that exit ramp and we make our way up to Estes Park and we went to that conference. And, and God began to confirm. And they're like, wow, we've been praying for you. It's like, you finally showed up. Right? And, and, and God started working in very specific ways. And within uh, three months, I was uh, planning this church in Southwest Colorado. Right? Uh, 
I, I, and, and, and for me, that was very dramatic. And I think it's super dramatic when it's a 180 U-turn. Right? It's not always going to be that dramatic. Because when you're on the right path, you know, it's going to be little steps. But, but God wants to lead us in those kind of specific ways. Right? He, he, he wants to lead you. Uh, and He will do it if you will be attentive to His Word. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.